Look into your Bibles at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I do appreciate all the Christmas decorations, don't you? They look beautiful. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins." Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin will be with child and will bear a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Last week, Tim began a series of sermons uh, that we're going to be looking at through the Christmas season, and he, he asked this question, what's in a name? And the answer to that question, if we're talking about Jesus particularly, we could say there's a lot in a name. Every name that is attributed to Jesus has a significant meaning Behind it, one of the names that we see attributed to Jesus, particularly in the Christmas story, is this name, Savior. And he is called that because he came to save us from our sins. In John chapter 4, he is called the living water. If we drink from him, we will never thirst again. In John chapter 6, he is called the bread of life. If we partake of him, he will truly satisfy our hunger. In John chapter 14, he is called the way, the truth, and the life. He calls himself by those names. And then he says this, no one comes into the Father except through me. That was a very bold claim that Jesus made that day. He was saying, I am not one of many ways to the Father. I am the only way to the Father, and I am the only way to heaven. In Revelation chapter 19, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I hope and pray that he is your king and that he is my king. For one day, every knee will bow, the scripture says, and every tongue will confess him as Lord. And it will be so much better if you and I will have been bowing our knee to him along the way, that we would be confessing him as Lord along the way, rather than to wait for that final day when he returns, and then we will be forced to confess him as Lord and bow our knee to him. There's another name that I want to mention to you. We found it here in this text, Matthew chapter 1, and it's a name that we will be giving attention to over these next three Sundays. It's the name Emmanuel. Now, Many of you can tell me what that name means. Help me out. What's Emmanuel mean? God with us. And we have heard that through the years. 
We've read it in Scripture. What's it mean to you? You know, think with me. This name was first told to us by the prophet Isaiah 750 years earlier. And and this is what the prophet said. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want you for a moment to think about that name, Emmanuel. Let it sink into your mind, into your heart. And what does that really mean to you? Just be quiet for a moment and think about that name. To me, it means heaven came down here to earth. It means that deity took on humanity. That God left the splendor of heaven and he came here to dwell among us for a short while. And we believe that to be true. He claimed to be God. He took on God's name on several different occasions. John chapter 8, he refers to himself as I am. Whose name was that? It was God's name in the Old Testament. He took on the name. He refers to himself as the good shepherd. Whose name was that? That was God's name in the Old Testament. Peter said to him, I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. The, living, the, the woman at the well said, I know when Messiah comes, he will help us understand all of these things. Do you remember what Jesus said to her? The one who is speaking to you is he. I am the Messiah, he was saying. The high priest at Jesus' trial said, I, I charge you, tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of the Living One? And he said, I am. In John chapter 5, we are told, for Jesus to be the Son of God, that makes himself equal with God. He was God in the flesh, not just because of his proclamations that he made about himself, but he was also God in the flesh because of those miracles that he did. They are testimony of who he was. Those miracles are not miracles that could be done by any human being. They are miracles that could be done only by the hand of God. He gave sight to the blind. He raised up the lame to walk. He raised the dead to live again. He walked on the water. He calmed the storm. Those are things that only God could do. He was God in the flesh. Now, wouldn't you agree with me? We need to put Christ back into Christmas. You know, for too long, the world has had their way in taking Christ out of Christmas. For many, it's happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. For many, it's winter break instead of Christmas break. The manger scene has been removed from most government properties. We need to make sure that Christ is put back into Christmas and particularly that he is put in the forefront of our Christmas. 
May Christ be seen in our decorations. You know, as people drive by our home, as they come into our home through the holidays, may they see that we believe Jesus is what Christmas is all about. It's a great opportunity for us to witness to the world that Christmas is not just about lights. It's not about a Christmas tree and presents underneath the tree. It's about Jesus, God, who came here to dwell among us for a short while. And not only does Christ need to be put back into Christmas, but God needs to be put back into Christmas. Mary and Joseph's baby's name was to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Have you ever thought about how doctrinal Christmas is? It's no wonder that the Jehovah's Witnesses don't want to celebrate Christmas or the Muslims either because they don't believe that God and Jesus are one. But his name, Emmanuel, claims that they are one. He is and he was God in the flesh. He's God with us. David Platt wrote a book several years ago called Radical. It's a great book. I would highly recommend it to you. In that book, he talks about being in Indonesia. He was in a Buddhist temple. He was engaged in a conversation with this Buddhist monk. A Muslim leader was also involved in that conversation. And the Buddhist and the Muslim in this particular conversation were agreeing with one another. They were talking rather excitedly about how all of the world's religions in their mind are basically the same. Now there are some unique differences, but ultimately we have the same goal, they were saying. And David Platt said to them, if I understand what you are saying, it's as though God were on top of this big mountain and we are all trying to get up to God. Now, you might go up one side of the mountain and, and I might go up another side of the mountain. But when the day is all done, uh, we're all trying to get up to God and be together. And they sh he said, is that right? Is that what you're saying? And they shook their heads. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. That's what we are saying. And David answered them in this way. He said, what if God came down from the mountain to where we are? If we didn't have to try to figure out how to get up to him because he came down to us, what would you think about that? And both of them just said, oh, wow, that would be wonderful. And David Platt said to them, let me introduce you to Jesus. Because you see, that's what the Christmas message is. That God came down to where we are. This is the good news of the gospel. But before we can fully understand the good news, we have to first understand the bad news. And the bad news is this, that we are sinners. Every single one of us are sinners. Let me say it this way, and this will be the first point of the sermon. Christmas reveals to us our sin problem. Bruce Larson, a well-known Christian author, tells of a time that he and his family were vacationing in California, and they were on a bike ride together. And, and they came across this sign that said, Naturalist Camp. 
And he saw that and he thought, wow, this, this would be neat. We're on a bike ride. We can go look at nature and the family. We can enjoy this experience together. And so he took the lead and he led his family down this path, all of them on their bikes riding together. But it didn't take him long to understand what this word naturalist meant. Six bikers came along, alongside of his family, and all six of them were completely naked. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, they didn't have a stitch of clothes on, and Larson was beside himself. He's trying to figure out what he's going to say to his family, particularly to his kids, about this when the five-year-old broke the silence and she said, Dad... They're not wearing their helmets. (laughs) Well, that, that was right. That was a correct observation, but she was missing a bigger point. And the same is often true with us. We want to celebrate Christmas, but we don't make this connection of what it says about our sin problem. The angel's message to Joseph was that Mary would have a baby and that baby would come and he would save us from our sins. That's the good news. But before the good news, there was bad news, and that bad news was, and it's still true today, we are sinners in need of a Savior. Now, a lot of us, we don't like to talk about sin. It's, it's kind of a downer. In fact, there are a lot of preachers who don't like to talk about sin. They like instead to just pat everybody on the back and tell them that they're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. If that's the message we're buying into, then it's easy for us to make light of sin. It's easy for us to just shrug it off. It's not that big of a deal. But if we have that kind of mentality towards sin, it's easy for us to think that God should have that same mentality towards sin, that God should make light of sin. But I want to tell you something. God can't do that. God cannot make light of sin. God cannot shrug his shoulders at sin. He cannot ignore our sin problem. He can't close his eyes to our sin. He is a holy God. His holiness will not allow him to make light of our sin. In fact, because he is holy, our sin invokes wrath from God. Sin has to be paid for. And so, because he has such a great love for us, and he doesn't want us to perish, he devised a plan, a plan that was put in place long before the world was even made. It was and is an amazing plan. Let me read it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. It says this, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now that he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Do you get that from the text? 
the plan for Jesus to come and save us from our sins was in place long before Adam and Eve were in place. I heard it said this way. Man's sin problem is the biggest problem that God has ever faced. Darkness? Well, that wasn't a problem for God. All he had to do was speak the word and there was light. And the darkness was eliminated. What what about void and chaos? That, That was no problem for God. All he had to do was speak the word and there were planets and and there was orderliness within the world and and the sun arose and the sun set all in, in orderly fashion. But with sin, God could not speak a word. He couldn't just say a word and, and, it, and it all be gone. No, there had to be suffering. There had to be a death. And his son Jesus, Emmanuel, volunteered before time began that he would come here and pay the price for sin. And so Christmas not only reveals to us the sinfulness of man, secondly, it also reveals to us the coming of a Savior. There are a lot of questions that might be asked about the Christmas story, but the most important question of all the others is, why was he born? And the answer to that was given to the, to the shepherds through the angels. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it says, And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior. Aren't you glad for a Savior? The prophets could not preach away our sin problem. Aaron could not sacrifice away our sin problem. All the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament, it did not eliminate sin. It simply rolled them back. It put them off until a time that the perfect sacrifice could be given. Moses could not legislate away our sin problem. Jeremiah could not weep away our sin problem. David could not worship it away. Daniel could not even pray it away. There was only one way that our sin problem could be taken care of, and that was through Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, coming down from heaven to be here and to be the sacrifice for our sins. Rick Ashley said it this way, Only the second Adam could save the first Adam. He went on to say this, Only a man could die for sin. Only God could die for sin. Now think about that. I I read that, or I listened to his sermon this last week, and I heard that, that statement, and I had to mull that over in my mind for quite a while. Only a man should die for his sin. In other words, we're the ones who have sinned. We're the ones who deserve to die. We're the ones who are guilty. We are the ones who should die for sin, but only God could die for sin. 
We couldn't pay for our sin problem. But God could. By giving up his only begotten son to save us from our sin problem. And so that night in Bethlehem, knowing this dilemma that, was, that, that mankind was in, he needed a Savior. God sent that Savior in the form of a God-man. A God-man was born in Bethlehem that night. I don't mean that he was half God and half man. No, he was fully God and he was fully man. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He was God in the flesh. He was God with us. You know what that means? That means that he made himself susceptible to all of the attacks that Satan wanted to bring against him. And you know, Satan unleashed all of his forces against Jesus. He was tempted in every way as we are, and yet he was without Sin. He lived under the law, and yet the law could not bring a single charge against him. He was perfect. And that's how he became the perfect sacrifice. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 9. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your Will. Now, let's, let's make sure we understand who's, who's being talked about here. Behold, I have come to do your will. Jesus is the one who has come, and he is saying, I have come to do your will, God. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. It's talking about the covenants here. The old covenant is going to be removed. It's going to be made obsolete by the blood of Jesus. And there will be a new covenant instituted. Verse 10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That's, that's what I was alluding to earlier. The, the priests of the Old Testament, they offered sacrifices day after day, month after month, year after year, and still the sins were not fully taken care of. They were not paid for. They were rolled back until there could be a perfect sacrifice given. Verse 12, But he, this is Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. He was perfect. He became the perfect sacrifice. I've told you this story before, but it's worth telling again. 
as it's a Christmas story. It's about a dear old grandmother who was accustomed to giving gifts to all of those members in her family. But this particular year, it was going to be quite different. She no longer felt like getting out and fighting the crowd and and, uh, having that hassle. And so she decided she was just going to give money to each of her family members. So she did get out. She bought a card for each of her family members. She went to the bank. She withdrew uh, some money and she put the money in neat little stacks. She had the right denominations and she had it perfectly set aside for every person the amount of money that she was going to send to them. She got the envelopes and she addressed them. She put a stamp on each envelope and and she got them in the mail. She was so proud of herself. They were going to get their card in time for Christmas. But on Christmas morning, she woke up in a panic. She realized she had forgot to put the money in each of the cards. And that Christmas morning, her family across the country was going to open a card and it was going to read like this. Buy your own gift, love grandma. (laughs) Wasn't exactly the message she wanted to send. And that's what all of these roads that are leading up the mountain are saying. You get it. You get it yourself. You make your own way. You want to get right with God? You earn it. You buy it. Do this. Don't do this. You follow these rules. Don't don't do this. You got to be good enough. You want to have this this relationship with God, you want to get up to where God's at, you got to be good enough. We can't earn our way there. We can't be good enough. We can't work our way there. There is only one way to be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. He became the perfect sacrifice on the cross. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christmas teaches us that God was willing to experience hell so that we could experience heaven. Let me give to you a third point. Christmas reveals to us the extreme love of God. Would you say John 3.16 with me, please? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We love that verse, don't we? In fact, I was sitting down just yesterday with John. And I was sharing with him that verse. We, we talked about it. And uh, he was very familiar with that verse. But then I did something with him that I like to do with, with others as I'm sharing the, the, the good news of Jesus with people. I said, let's personalize this verse. For God so loved John that he gave his one and only son 
that if John would believe in him, he would not perish but have everlasting life. I wish you could have seen John's face when I read that verse to him in that way. Because, yes, it's, it's good news that he loves the world, but it's even better news that he knows who I am and he loves me and he wants to save me. And that's the good news of Christmas, that Jesus' love, the love of God, is available for each and every one of us, that he has come down from heaven to come here and be with us and to show his love to us. We don't need Christmas to know God's power. What we need to do is just look at the universe and we see the power of God. And we really don't need Christmas to know God's wisdom, we can look at the creation and every part of creation and we see his incredible wisdom. But if we want to know his love, we needed for him to come down here to be with us and to show us how to live and to walk in our shoes so that he could empathize with us. And that is exactly the message of Christmas. He came here to be with us. The manger is the second greatest proof in history of God's love. The first greatest proof was also made of wood. Cindy and I are reading a devotional book through the Christmas season. And and one of the devotions for this last week was talking about the fact that, that sin was first introduced to man at a tree. Think about that. Sin was first introduced to man at a tree in the Garden of Eden. And salvation was introduced to, to man at another tree, the tree called Calvary. And I am so thankful for that second tree. Amen? Never doubt the love that God has for you. It was a great love. It was a sacrificial love. It was an indescribable love. It was a love that cost him the life of his dear son. And so this Christmas, remember that God came to dwell among us. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He came to save us from our sins. Let's pray together. We thank you for your great gift, Heavenly Father. The gift of your Son, Jesus. We thank you for the plan that was in place even before the world was created. And so, Lord, may your love to us prompt us to love you in return. May we be devoted to you. In Jesus' name.